0: Doublecast B Sides, Episode 19, How the Moon Got Its Cousin, by Lee Hallison. Miss Hallison lives in the Pacific Northwest where she free falls through the chaos of a disorganized but happy life. You can learn more about her at leehallison.com. So gather round, best beloved, for the end of days draws nigh. Without further ado, we bring you How the Moon Got Its Cousin. By Lee Hallison. Once upon a time, O oh, my best beloved, when the world was one world with one moon, and the stars did scintillate and sparkle in the sky. Astronomers discovered a beast of a meteor flying through the vast black toward the sun. The scientists of the world realized that the beast, in a voraciously voracious manner, would devour the hot yellow sun, and they did talk and squawk and look through telescopes to watch what that beast was doing. They crunched their magic numbers, and they scribbled their special notes, and they filled their study rooms with piles of scritch-scratch paper. Now, in one of those study rooms worked an exceptionally big scientist named George. Big George was exceptionally big because not only was he a person of the most magnificent intelligence and profundity, he also saw the big picture. Big George looked at all the scribbles and scratches, lined them up in his magnificently intelligent mind and saw the connections and ties and knots that made up the big picture. Folks, Big George yelled, stopping the busy, busy scientists with their busy, busy work. What, George?" said the other scientists, turning to look at Big George. The beast is not flying to the sun. The scientists began to laugh and shout with joy, but Big George put up his hand. No one wanted to miss a word from Big George, so they all hushed and shushed until the room was still as a dark, dark night. No. Big George whispered into the wide eyed faces of the other scientists. The beast is not flying into the sun. It is flying to the earth. Then, oh, best beloved, did all the people of the world scurry and flurry, work and shirk, make and bake, until the tremendously stupendous spaceships for the dispersal were finished, and the extensively elongated tunnels for the hiding were dug and polished and stocked, and the definitively deep sea domes for the scape were equipped, and every town and every city and every country and every continent had a few fallout shelters for those left behind. The ones chosen for the dispersal sobbed, robbed, feared, cheered, and then clamored on with all their Kiplings and Shakespeare's scientific supplies and goodbyes to go out into the black, black of space and their tremendous, enormous ships. You must particularly remember these ships, best beloved. The ones chosen for the hiding slumped, bumped, shouted and pouted, and then moved all their stuffs and cuffs and carts and arts into the tunnels to go down to the dark, dark of under-earth. The ones chosen for the scape swished, fished, floated, and boated, and then took all their piles of trunks and junks and pewters and scooters out to the middle of the ocean, where they swam way down to the deep, deep of the sea domes. The ones chosen for the fallout shelters shoved and loved, crowded and shrouded, and made their way into the tight, tiny spaces and places built for surviving a major event. And the ones not chosen for anywhere hid and scraped and wailed and fought and found caves and caverns and elevator shafts and closets to huddle and cuddle under. Oh, best beloved, it was a most dreadful time. The beast came closer and closer, and the people screamed and cried and waited for the beast to eat up the world. The huge ships, which you must not forget, flying out into the immense dark, went right past that beast, and they shook and shivered at its size, frightfully larger than the tremendous ships. They looked out their back windows and watched that beast take a most enormous bite out of the earth, such an enormous bite that the whole earth jumbled and bumbled and burned and turned and bits and parts of its skin flew right up into the sky. And then the earth, angry that the beast had taken such a big bite, rumbled and grumbled and roared a furious fire that melted and belted that beast right up into the sky and wrapped those tumbling bits and parts of skin all around the beast, catching it just right and winging its way, way up to join the moon. Here's a little cousin for you, Moon, the Earth did call. And that is how the first moon got a second moon to follow its willy-nilly around the Earth, who then turned to pay attention to her burning skin. Her skin all around had bubbled and burned and turned and tore until the whole around the Earth was on fire. The fire was a most fearsome fire, hot and fast and fierce. And all those people who hid in caves and elevator shafts and closets were gone and gone. And all those people in fallout shelters were gone and gone, as were the people hiding under the earth. The sea boiled and burbled, and the domes cracked, and all the people scaping under the sea were gone and gone. The people dispersing out to the immense and terrible black watched the earth burn. Big George, being a man of most magnificent intelligence and profundity, had of course understood the big picture and chosen to go on one of the big ships. Had you forgotten the ships? He sat and watched and cried with the others as the earth burned and all the animals and people disappeared. The ships flew out on the predetermined orbit George had plotted with his immense mind all the way out into the vastness and back again to land on the Terminator line of first moon, smack down in the doldrums where the winds don't whistle and the light is gray. And the people sweated, fretted, hammered, and yammered, and then dug great shelters in and on top of the lava caves. They spent years polishing their place on the first moon. They grew their DNA plants and DNA chickens and DNA cats, and built farms and towns and homes in and all over first moon. People watched for hundreds of years as Earth spun and cooled and began to grow new skin. They studied and muddied the sights they saw through the long telescope Big George built before he died. To this day, oh best beloved, the people wait. We wait to go back to take those big ships. Now you know why you were not to forget the ships and go home again to see first moon and its wee cousin in the sparkling night sky. And when we get back, well, that will be a tale. This story was brought to you by Drabblecast Productions under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to our episode artist, Brian Walker. Find out more about Brian at braintwist.net. And for more great free fiction week to week, check out the Drabblecast at drabblecast.org.